Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Nicole. I am a voiceover artist. I'm a friend of Terry's and I am doing the intro for this week's episode. I hope everybody's having a lovely day. I just ate a very yummy, very spicy samosa. It was quite greasy. It was quite full of veggies and it is currently sitting in my belly. So hooray for that. This week's chat is with Luis Ribeiro, who is currently a partner and executive producer at Lobo, a creative design, 2D, 3D, and stop-motion animation studio based out of Sao Paulo and New York. Over the years, Luis has worked with brands like Coca-Cola, Disney, and 7up. And in his chat with Terry, he shares his journey from Brazil to the U.S. and how he prioritized risky career moves to become the producer he is today. But first... This episode is sponsored by Snowlands, a brand new full-color graphic novel series for animal fantasy fans featuring snow leopards and arctic wolves on a wild adventure through the snow-covered mountain range. Shifty lynxes, secret monkey tribes, singing palace cats, and a cult of sheep are just a few of what the heroes of Snowlands run into on their journey. This is the perfect read for those who love Aaron Hunter's Warriors or Tuity's Sutherland's Wings of Fire series. This premium hardcover book is only $19.99, and since it was created by Mormor Ross, the guy behind the animation training website Bloop Animation, you can now get a $25 credit to any Bloop Animation course when you buy the book. So if you thought about getting any of their courses, Get this book first and get your $25 credit. It's kind of like getting a book for free. Hooray! We love it. To get this deal, go to www.bloopanimation.com slash Terry. That's bloopanimation.com slash T-E-R-R-Y. Now, without further ado, let us jump in to the episode. Bye! Hi, Luis. How are you? I'm good. The funny thing is I probably have the most common Brazilian name. I mean, equivalent to Will Smith or John Smith, but in America, I'm unique. I was just going to say, if you have the most common <laughs> Brazilian name, then what makes you unique yourself? But <laughs> how do you, when you go back to Brazil, how do you stand out? Oh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They just, you just get grouped in. There's just, yeah, there's like probably at least a hundred Luis is around me at any given point so it's oh interesting goodness. hilarious yeah. well well let me ask you this why did you want it to why did you want to come on the podcast why did you uh want to share what you're going to share just curious um I don't know if it is something that comes out of being old and then you have this sort of desire to share um anything that is part of your life that could contribute positively to someone else's. Uh, that's really the drive. Um, there's not really any kind of vanity, you know, perspective uh, on that for me. Yeah. Uh, it's more like, is that something I can do that will help? Well, so basically that's the drive. I love that. But now I have a high expectation for you to impart wisdom <laughs> into this chat. <laughs> Actually, you were telling me you were just telling me that you went and did a Q&A at the University of Texas in their film in their film program as kind of like an alumni coming back. So you're already kind of on this path of sharing what you've learned. What what was kind of maybe, you know, an interesting question that somebody asked or something that you you felt was important to share with the students um, at, at that school coming into the industry from your experience? 
I think what I thought was interesting was how um, technologically advanced they were in some of the questions they were asking me. When I went to, I was invited to speak, it was more like, you know, the animation 101 uh, that, you know, comes very naturally. When they start asking about AR and VR and XR, I'm like, whoa, (laughs) Uh, all relevant questions. Let me get back to you because I have to talk to my head of technology guy because, you know, especially in this, you know, field, everything changes on a weekly basis almost. So it was, it was interesting to see how, um, you know, that generation is so intrigued by uh, that new approach, this new medium. Uh, and it still hasn't really kicked off as we all can tell. Yeah. I mean, I don't have Oculus. I don't know if you do. Uh, it's probably coming and metaverse, whatever that's going to turn out to be. Uh, I'm going to wait for it. Um, as a company, of course, we are, you know, prepared for projects of that nature. Um, but that was an interesting aspect for me to like, wow, look at yeah. these kids, you know, way ahead of me. What am I doing here? Let me ask the questions. Right. I felt like that when I went back to school, I was 30 and I was surrounded by 19, 20 year olds who are a way more talented than me, B way more on social media than me, C like way more technologically advanced than I thought I was. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So I want to ask, you know, I, I'm super interested in Lobo and kind of the work you do and how you stay ahead of the game and all that stuff. But let me ask you this, you know, how was the experience uh, going back to this the school that you graduated from and like remembering the mentality that you had when you were, you know, a fresh student, not in the industry. And then having been in the industry for 25 plus years coming back, what was the biggest change in kind of like mentality that, that you've experienced being in the industry for so long versus, you know, remembering when you had weren't in it at all? Well, that's the, the, the interesting thing about this, you know, program that, uh, so they are RTF, Radio, Television and Film. Um, when I went to school in Texas, what was the 90s, radio was way more relevant than, you know, it is today. Um, print was much bigger than it is today. And of course, technology has sort of changed that dramatically. So when I was in school, there was like this, you know, the world was so much, um, the, the possibilities were infinite in a way. And he felt even though there's more mediums, there's more technology, there's more advanced, I feel like they were more boxed in into like, you know, what I need to do has to be on Facebook, has to be on, on, on some uh social media in order to be relevant and i thought that was an interesting difference in perspective from when i was a student and what these students uh were asking me or or what they thought was more important so it was just uh different the the values i think of what uh people were aiming for Mm. was different than when i was in school which were more like jobs not fame. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Because like, you know, everybody's on TikTok and Instagram, etc. And like, there's this big fame ego attached, like if I could just have more followers, etc. But that doesn't yeah. actually lead to 
paying the bills at the end of the day. How much does, you know, you've been in the creative industry for uh, agency industry for a while. How much does social media influence, uh, you know, what you're creating? Like when you're creating ads for clients, are you also, you know, packaging that ad for social media in snippets and TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and things like that and Twitter? Yes. Uh, not Twitter so much, but um, I think, you know, as of maybe the last five, six, seven years, um, our deliverables mm-hmm. uh, was always a 30-second commercial with a 15 lift. Uh, and then now it, there's not a single project that we do that doesn't have a social media deliverable. And there are a lot of projects that are only for social media. So yeah, yeah it has changed dramatically. And six seconds, it's almost more important than the 30 second at this point. Also, audio might not be part of the equation as used to be because you have to get the viewer as attention by what they see. And if they like, they might turn the audio on yeah. to hear as well. So that has been sort of a shift. I remember going to Can, one of the, my first Can Lions 13, 14 years ago, um, and this relationship uh, viewer or consumer uh, was very passive. Like you sat on your TV and, and you know, people will sell you toothpaste and you'd be like, oh, I want to buy that. Um, and I think it's, it seems like you know, the, the consumers are way more sophisticated now and that message, the passive message of just listening and consuming has changed to a more interactive. Mm-hmm. And I think social media enables that because they can do their own research. They can read the reviews. They can see if that is the right one for them or if there are other options that will be uh, more, you know, advantageous to them personally. So that shift in how the consumer uh, buys uh, a product. It, it's been reflected on what we do because we need to sort of follow that trend. We are in the creative field, uh, but remember we are animation studios. So the creativity and the idea usually comes from the agency and we execute that vision. Mm. So you uh, just to make that distinction. So okay, so for for Lobo specifically right now, you will get the creative vision from an agency, and then you will produce you will produce that vision. Interesting, because right. I was going to say that we're not creative. Yeah, just, you know, but it just I think it's always uh, when I explain that to to people, and of course, you know, if you give me an idea, if an idea is given to me to you and to a third party, the three of us are going to come up three different ways of executing that idea. So that that's part of the process. It's just, I always kind of like to, to point it out that we, we don't create content from scratch. We execute content ideas uh, yeah. that were ideated into an advertising agency and then given to us to execute in a particular way. So, okay, I have so many questions, but okay. So from like a business model risk perspective, does this mean you are kind of taking on less risk because the agency itself would bid on 
you know, so like say a brand like Coca-Cola, they have a whole bunch of creative agencies that'll like bid on things and whatnot, and then somebody mm-hmm. will win it and then they'll pass it off to you. So you're kind of taking on less risk from that original request for proposal, or is it still kind of the same amount of risk? Are you still fighting against other production companies to take on this agency's uh, execution? Like what, right. what would what would be the decision not to have kind of the agency in house as well? Uh, well, that's become more uh, common now. Agencies having their own in house. Um, so there's a couple of things that happen there. I think the creators at the agency like to have the freedom of working with people they admire. Uh, so if they saw a work that Lobo did and they wanted to do something like that, they don't want to work with their in-house production mm-hmm. team because they don't think that they have the talent or the caliber to do something that they saw that Lobo did, for example. But also the, the way the business work, we have to, uh, and that is comes from the brand mostly, but also from the agency, every job, and I'm going to say 99% of every lead that comes to us, we have to triple bid. Hmm. Uh, So it's Lobo and two more studios pitch to win that project. That is just uh, standard in our industry. Uh, and, And that is, I think, even though, it's a little bit um, unfair to studios because we don't get paid for the pitch and pitches usually last a week for you to, you know, you have to put animators, designers, storyboard artists. I mean, the whole team to create a 30, 40, 60 page treatment of that idea that those, the, the board, the creative board that, you know, came from the agency that has been approved by the brand. And then two other students are going to do the same thing. And then the agency and the client will decide which studio is closer to their original vision. Yeah. Or sometimes, very rarely, but it happens, someone goes completely off. And it surprises everyone. And they're like, oh, my God, we didn't think of that. That's a great approach. Let's go with that. Doesn't happen often, um, but it happens. Just to give you an example, was um, one studio was not, I mean, the brief, none of the idea had puppets um, as an execution um, in stop motion. And one studio went that way, completely off brief, and they won. <laughs> and we're like, what? Do you guys want a puppet? Like, no, we didn't. And <laughs> but we we're so surprised about how they took a risk and went off brief. Again, very yeah. rarely happens. Yeah. Nobody takes that much risk because it is something you're doing because it could be taken the wrong way. You know, it, it's a big risk. The client might be like, "What the hell are you giving me?" I mean, we don't want to do puppets. The client doesn't want to do puppets. But it was a risk that paid off. Uh, and once in a while, we will, not to that extent, but we might add something that is unexpected, which I think uh, that's something just to segue about uh, why Lobo for me. 
I love the fact that Lobo is a almost 30 year old uh, animation studio. I uh, started in Sao Paulo in Brazil. Um, I always feel like maybe because of culture, maybe because a, a range of reasons that I'm not even aware of, but there's something that makes us a little bit more unique or more unexpected in our approach mm. to some briefs, which I love because I'm a product of this market. I've been in, in the United States for 31 years. I went to school here and then I started working in the business. So I never really worked with the Brazilian market uh, despite being Brazilian. And, and so I, I feel like my perspective in that sense is a little bit different than Brazilians who work in the Brazilian market because they are more used to seeing that. For me, I think we add this sort of inherited value to the process only because there is an unexpectedness to it, maybe because we come from different cultures yeah. or I don't know. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense to me. So let's uh, let's chat a little bit more about you yourself, like where you came from, because, you, you know, you came from Brazil uh, and you journeyed to America and, you know, how, what was the decision to come to the States and go to university of Texas for, for film? Like what was young Lewis thinking back when he was, I don't know, like 18 or whatever, like, what was the dream you were pursuing? Um, actually I was uh, an economics major in Rio. Um, and I hated, (laughs) (laughs) um, was late 80s and Brazil was going through horrible inflation and economic chaos and uh, sort of a recent uh, democracy because it was a light dictatorship up to a few years back. Uh, So even, you know, voting, it's something that was new to Brazilians for a long time, obviously, as demonstrated by the last election, we still have a lot to learn. Um, but it was one of those things like I need to, to do something else. And I, you know, at 19, it's, you know, and I always talk to people sometimes at that age because they freak out, they don't know what they want to do uh, or, or who they are. I'm like, welcome to the club. And if you knew, great. But I'm going to guess that 90% of us don't. So you own the 90%, not on the 10%. And I had this passion for film. I wanted to, you know, uh, it was the only thing that I could think of when I was trying to dig, dig deeper into myself. What is that I could do in school that would excite me to turn into a career? And film was one of them. Um, there was not really a film school in Brazil that I could go to. Uh, I think at the time there was one in Sao Paulo uh, for a university called USP, Universidade de Sao Paulo. And I wasn't, it wasn't really something I wanted to explore. So I started applying to universities in the US. Uh, Universal Texas was super welcoming and sent me a beautiful letter saying, we'd love to have you. And so oh, I jumped on a plane and moved to Austin, which back then nobody knew what Austin was. Yeah. People were like, you mean Dallas? <laughs> I'm like, no, Austin. 
never heard of it. I'm like, well, one day you will. <laughs> um, and, you know, South by Southwest was $25. The ticket was only music back then. Um, so it, ha- it didn't really have uh, a place in, in the map yet. Yeah. Um, and it was wonderful. And, but, but that's how, you know, everything started. So I, I moved in 91 to, uh, to Austin, graduated, um, got my job <laughs> at a company called Manhattan Transfer here in New York. Uh, the vice president of the company was having dinner at the restaurant that I was working at and my last day and they were at my last table. Um, so it was a little bit like freakishly lucky. Uh, they gave me uh, their card. I Wait, so you're just your... you're just waiting the table, and you're like, "Hi, I want to work for your company." And he's like, "Here you go, come and come and work here. Done." It it was a little bit a little bit less inter- less easy, and definitely less interesting than that. It was um, it was really busy. Um, it was South by Southwest was happening, the music festival. Yeah. They were about to get into films. So the Manhattan transfer guys were in Austin for the South by Southwest because they were seeing if there's any opportunities for uh, the post-production for feature films, independent feature films, so that they were there for, for business. And I didn't give a shit. It's my last table, my last day. So they're like, you know, waving their hands. And I was like, you're going to have to wait. Uh, so when I turn around to give them my attention, um, they, uh, the, the vice president of Manhattan was like, sorry, sorry, you know, in New Yorkers, we're, we're you know, uh, everything, <laughs> everything's in a hurry. I was like, oh, no, no, no problem. Sorry, it's just really busy. So I couldn't, you know, come to your table sooner. Uh, and I'm moving to New York in a couple of months as soon as I graduate. And they're like, oh, my God, great. You know, here's my card. Look for me. I'm like, I will. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a, what a random connection. It was a total <laughs> you gave them some connection. sass and they gave you a job. That's great. <laughs> right. I know. I know. So, so, you know, you said you were part of the 90% that didn't really know what they were doing. Do you have a good sense of what you're, what you're doing now? Or do you still feel sometimes like, you know, your path could lead anywhere or like, this is, this is what you're doing now. Like you found your, your calling. Um, I, I think the business I, I love, um, what I do in terms of, you know, uh, what I do for Lobo and, you know, what I've been doing for uh, probably the last 10, 12 years, it, it has changed. Uh, yeah. so I, I do feel like I'm, I feel very fortunate that I, you know, speaking about percentages, I think it seems like 85% of people just have a job, but they don't like the job. I feel very lucky that I am maybe in that 15% that uh, do what I love and, and, and being working in the industry that has embraced me and I embraced them it yeah. in, in a way that it's been very fortunate uh, because it is satisfying to to do something you, you like and you have a passion for it. And some of the projects that we get involved with, I mean, it's advertising. So 95% is product. But once in a while we get a cause uh, that 
makes all makes all of us involved feel uh, even better about what we do. Being, you know, uh, LGBT or something pro women or anything that is just like yes, let's use the power of what we do to contribute, even if it's in a small way, to help change minds towards something positive. So. Nice. Um, yeah, it's gratifying. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, well, I love that. I'm just wondering, you know, like you're kind of, you know, executive producer and partner at a big company. You might say like you're at the top of your game pretty much like, you know, and, and you just said you love giving back to the community in, in ways uh, through sharing, you know, animation, what you do. Is there a goal for yourself personally in this career path that you've you've gone through that you would like to, you know, expand on and, and you still haven't reached your full potential yet? No, I don't. I, I mean, uh, thank you for, for saying that. Uh, it's very sweet of you. Uh, I, I just don't, like, I... I never really uh, been able to, in my entire life, be able to see more than a couple of years from now. Hmm. Um, maybe it is a, a limitation of my personality. Um, and even when I talk to accountants, whatever, they're like, you know, you have to come up with your 10 year plan. I'm like, what? No, <laughs> um, I can only think of two years ahead of me. So there's something that maybe is part of my um not a lack of ambition, but I'm not super like, oh, I need to do this. I need gotcha. to be the president of, you know, the Association of Commercial Independent. No, I, I, I just want to kind of do what I do better every day. Yeah. And, and then just sort of, you know, uh, improve on what I already do. And, you know, Lobo is a big studio with the largest animation studio in Latin America in terms of size. Um, with that comes enormous challenges in recruitment, in, you know, just especially post-pandemic with mental health. And so I think in terms of, you know, career and, but also looking inside, there's so much work that we need to do with our teams and make sure that we are being you know, good bosses and compassionate, you know, leaders to 250 plus yeah. people. So, yeah, I think that the, the, I'm more looking at now and the near future as opposed to sort of, you know, way into five years from now. Um, I don't know, especially <laughs> the pandemic maybe made us realize that you have no clue what's coming. You have no clue what's coming. I think it's interesting what you just said, and I love it. You know, you're kind of living in the moment and doing your best as challenges arise, arise or whatever. But, you know, like you started as a runner and now you're partner executive producer. You must have been doing something, even if you if you didn't project that you would be in this uh, space now 10 years ago. You know, what was it that was guiding you? towards this and enabling you to kind of like go up the ranks from starting out as like the entry-level position to where you are now like to be asked to be a partner and to like build the New York office of Lobo that's huge like not everybody gets asked that so like what 
what was it about you that, you know, maybe there's, uh, you have some specific skills you've developed, or there's a way you approach challenges, or even, you know, when you're approaching decisions, like, what is it about you that has enabled you to climb this, whatever it is, to get where you are? Um, I think, you know, if we can summarize that answer into one word would be flexibility. Hmm. Um, I wanted to be an editor. So my last year at University of Texas was all about Avid and editing and learning uh, that aspect of post-production. I mean, the film school was interesting for me because right off the bat, I realized that being behind the camera and doing production was less attractive to me than being on the post side of things. I just fell in love with the, I remember in school, they said there are three movies, you know, the writers, the directors, and the editors, um, which is true. You know, you write a piece, somebody takes that piece and writes a script. That's already an interpretation of what was written. And then you shoot 30 hours, and then the editor has to get those 30 hours of film and editing two hours. So that's the third interpretation. So I always loved that aspect that post was not just like, you know, oh, you're doing retouching at the, at the final product. There was a, a, an artistic importance equal to, in a way, to the writer and to, to the director. So I, I fell in love with post-production in school. Yeah. Luckily, Manhattan Transit was a post-production house. So getting the job at a post-production uh, for me was already a dream. Even though I was runner and serving coffee, entry level, I was so happy. I was in New York City. I made it. <laughs> uh, and it didn't matter that I was broke. It didn't matter that I you know, I wasn't making money, that was tough, that I had to, you know, take uh, waiting table gigs on the weekends just to compensate my income so I could pay rent. All that was, it builds personality and, and it's, and there's something about waiting tables too that I, people take for granted, but there's such a huge learning in how to read people when you do that job hmm. that, I think I applied a lot of that oh, that's as an so interesting. producer. Oh my God. But you, you learned a lot absolutely. about people's character and how to read them just from waiting tables when you're answering their demands. And you like use those subtle cues and character to take advantage of situations in the workplace where you could squeeze your way into something else. Absolutely. Can you Absolutely. can you think of an example of like something that like not many people know of when versus like a waiter might know of of people's behavior? <laughs> well, I don't know if I can pinpoint anything, but it's just in general is like you know when you are a waiter, you you approach a table and you that response and people are talking and you have to interrupt them and mm. and how to sort of navigate that. Uh, with you know without being rude or without but at the same time how do i how do i interrupt so... somebody without being rude like i just interrupted you now <laughs> <laughs> but but you see that's the thing is is it rude because you know you, you you're trying to you know do a service for them and and so you know who's the rude the, the they who are having stopped talking with me standing there uh to serve them so there's you know a little give and take there but um 
But I want to go back to your question so we don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, digress. But uh, the so the Manhattan Transit thing was very unique and about the, the thing that I said about flexibility is that editor is really what my goal was. And I knew that that's the path that I wanted to, to go uh, career-wise. Um, as I start working in post-production and seeing how the editors were working there for a long, long time and assistant editors were working there for five years, still doing assistant editing for the editors that were very well-established. And back then, Manhattan Transfer did uh, Sex in the City and um, The Wire, some really great HBO shows. And it was super, super exciting. Um, but I realized, like, what if I'm an assistant editor for five years and I'm not good at it? <laughs> yeah. What if I discover that I'm not good at this only after I spend so many years doing it? Then an opportunity happened in the design division of that company uh, for a night shift to be an associate producer, one of those titles that doesn't mean anything, but it was like junior, junior, junior producer uh, for CBS Sports. Ah. Now for, for the client was CBS Sports, a lot of March Madness, all those sports things. And, and the machines were very old that you would not even know what they are, but Chiron and Henry and anyway, now I'm totally aging myself there. But um, I grabbed that opportunity so strongly, like, this is what I want to do. So I would do my runner job from nine to six. And then from six to midnight, I would uh, help the delivery of these assets for CBS sports. As so, a, so let me guess, like nobody really wanted this like night shift, junior, junior, junior wall. So it was like, cause I'm just wondering, cause wouldn't the, your employer, whoever be like, well, you already work full time for us. Why are we going to give you this second role? Unless like nobody, Nobody wanted it? <laughs> Nobody wanted. Nobody wanted. Uh, I wanted. Um, they, they didn't really need it, but they, they did. But they're like, you know, it can be done. I think it had been done without anyone. But then if there was a problem, there's no one there to, to handle it. Hmm. And because of the hours, I had to kind of start late because I was working late because I couldn't work, you know, 12 hours. I think, you know, labor laws, whatever, wouldn't allow it. Um, but I knew that that was my way in into mm. a, a position that require excellent organization skills. So you were scared oh. of putting all your eggs in one basket, essentially, because you... Oh, no, I... Yeah, yeah. In I, editing. Yes. So, so you saw this as a way to kind of uh, see, test the waters in another area. And if... Like, did you have a, like, say you didn't like it, were you like, well, I'm just going to quit or I'm committing to this for the year or. Yeah, I, I was just going to try it out. I mean, there was a, you know, something I did not know about, but I knew it required attention and organization and, yeah. and things that I've always felt uh, that I knew I, I, I knew I could do as opposed to editing, which. I could do it. I just did not know if I was good at it. Uh, and and, and yeah. being organized and being prompt and being responsive and being 
think it's something that I naturally knew I had it on me. And I had a really lovely, lovely, lovely boss at the time, um, uh, Israeli guy who, you know, was in the military. Obviously, every Israeli goes to the military for three years. But there was something very, uh, he, he had a way of working that I really enjoyed how meticulous and, and precise he was with everything. That's why the department was such a success. Hmm. And I, boom, I, 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 we hit it off. And, and that's how sort of the path of uh, producing kind of started. And then somebody got pregnant or married or somebody on the fifth floor for the visual effects division. And they said, hey, Louise, there's a position there. And I was shitting on my pants in fear that I wasn't ready for prime time. I was not ready to talk to clients. I was not ready to take on a project on my own. And my other boss at the time was like, well, either take it or um, we might not need you for, you know, for what you're doing now. And I'm like, oh shit. So I have to take Take it it or you're fired. (laughs) So I did, unfortunately, you know, I was doing a good job with that. And then, I, I, I'm going to say something to you that maybe it's kind of silly and, and not humbling or humbling or too humbling, but it's interesting that I did not think that I was ready for any of the positions that came to me <laughs> up to recently. Um, because after five years being a producer for visual effects, my boss and I were looking for an executive producer for our uh, op- and at that time, the company was called Riot, no longer uh, Manhattan Transfer. They had been bought by a bigger company. And we are interviewing a bunch of executive producers, and she wasn't liking anyone. And I'm like, well, he's good. He's like, yeah, no, not a good fit, not a good fit. And then one of the flame artists, um, Randy, who's a dear friend to, to this day, said, why not Louise? And she's like, oh, my God, of course. I'm like, me? No, I've never been an EP. I cannot be an EP. It's like, well, you're already doing it. I'm like, so it, I don't know if that is a good thing or a bad thing. It wasn't a lack of confidence. It was more, I don't know. It's just like, no, I, I'm, hmm. you know, it's, it's good. I'm, I'm, I need more experience. I need to work for a different company. That's the thing. From Manhattan transfer to Company Three, which was part of the same company, it was twelve years. It was the beginning of my career. It was twelve years almost in the same company. Wow! So I never felt like I was other. I thought everybody else was better. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe that kind of humble attitude where you weren't really seeing your worth, you know, rubbed off on people the right way. Like, oh, Luis, he's, he's doing this amazing job. You're not pushing yourself. You're not, et cetera, et cetera. But even like just scrolling back a bit, even how you talked about editing, where you had all these doubts internally, you weren't super feeling it. Like if you, if, if you, you know, got off on editing and loved it and were researching it on the side or whatever, you probably would have never gone this other route. You'd be an editor now, but something internal told you, Hey, you know, maybe this isn't for me, but just yeah. the way you've talked about organization and all this stuff since like, it's, it's clear that, you know, you were kind of fit for this role. And, and, you know, now, however many years later, you're doing it is more it, second nature for sure. It just, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't worry me. It doesn't scare me. It doesn't, 
I don't doubt that aspect of uh, my work. It just that that's set. That that's so yeah. That that was interesting. Anyway, so then just to finish the thing about the flexibility yeah. was that. So then you know then I became an executive producer of a riot, and then you know the ha- the rest is history type of thing. But um, yeah, would you say Being you know you mentioned flexible. Flex- flexibility? Would you say that? Because like, for instance, if you hadn't, if you had known you wanted to be a producer from the start, you likely would have just gone right into that. But when you weren't too sure of what you were wanting to do, that flexibility allowed you to try different things until you found what you, what role you were best in, I guess. Does that make sense? Total. Yeah. Yeah. It's precisely how, how it happened. So, so, okay. Um, you know, you were asked to be a partner for Lobo, like, tell me, you know, why did they come to you and say like, Hey, we know who you are. We think you're great in this role. We've heard of your amazing producing abilities. Like, why did they come to you and ask you to be a partner? That's amazing. So that's sort of, again, a little bit unique to my, um, my, the fact that I'm Brazilian and Lobe is a Brazilian studio, gotcha. so that that sort of uh, ties in well. But uh, but it wasn't just obviously that because uh, we can have an amazing executive producer for Lobo New York. It doesn't have to be Brazilian. The language is not a problem. All my producers, everybody speak English. Everybody's on the you know, bilingual, and 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 that is not really. I mean, it helps, but it's not a requirement, if you will. But um, so I was hired at Frame Store uh, to be their executive producer here in New York. And I had a great time with them. Amazing company. Um, and I've been working with, uh, you know, in this field of visual effects, animation for a number of years from the beginning of my career with, you know, with uh, Manhattan Transfer to this day, it was always been more a post visual effects animation. Now, when I say that, I have to be careful because Lobo is not a post house, we are a production house. Uh, so we don't do post work. We do production of 2D, 3D stop motion as we already talked. So just to make that distinction, but the the business is the same and, and, and the, the you know, the market is the same. So when um, when I was doing uh, Frame Store, even before Frame Store, when I was at White House uh, Post, which is also uh, editorial, I was doing consultancy for mm-hmm. a Brazilian government-funded initiative called Film Brazil. And Film Brazil with Brazil with a Z as it is spelled in the US. Um, And what is Film Brazil? Film Brazil is an initiative, which is a really cool initiative from the Brazilian government. They have, I think, 80 initiatives to sell Brazilian leather to Brazilian orange to Brazilian whatever. And the Film Brazil was the division that um, was to help foster international business for Brazilian companies. Hmm. I was in Sao Paulo and sort of almost by accident, I met uh, the person that was running this initiative and she's like, oh my God, I need someone like you to 
uh, help me in the American market, which you are familiar with. Again, never work in the Brazilian market. I've been a product of the US market. And I did a, you know, this consultancy for them for maybe four or five years. Lobo, Sao Paulo, was part of this uh, association. So Film Brazil is an initiative and they have you know, 16, 20, 25 production companies, live action, animation, music. So Lobo is one of them. So I already knew Lobo from being part of this initiative. So they knew me and I knew yeah. them, but there was never really any interest in working together because they were not opening an office in New York or in the US. And I was not really, I, was, I had a job and, and the consultancy was almost a side gig that I did that did not conflict with uh, the jobs that I had being the White House when I started being frame store when he ended. When Lobo came to me, so we already knew each other and I actually thought when the, the founders of Lobo uh, asked for a Skype call back then, I thought it was to talk about the American market and what, you know, what they need was part of my consultancy was always sort of help the Brazilian companies navigate the US market in advertising and post-production production and whatever the case may be. And to my surprise, they were like, no, we actually love you to open the office for us in, in New York. And I'm like, oh, great. Uh, I, I pretended for a second that I'm like, let me think about it. Um, <laughs> I'll get back to you. <laughs> I mean, inside I was Yes, yeah. uh, because I was a huge fan. Uh, I knew them before Film Brazil. I knew of Lobo for a number of years. I admired them. Uh, we have, you know, combined, I don't know how many lions in our, you know, uh, award, you know, trophies, you know, shelf. And so there was like this admiration that I already had for them. And, and so it was not new, uh, but it was, an amazing opportunity and so i spoke to frame store and then uh we we had an agreement of a three-month exit yeah because I, I they they had relocated me from new york from la uh so i didn't want to you know just a little over a year and a half that i was with them and and then i came to lobo and april 1st fool's day <laughs> i opened lobo new york in 2016 yeah so you, you rented office space, you hired people here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. That's, that's quite a right. fun and daunting thing. <laughs> it, it, it has been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically from scratch, um, my main business partner, the founder and creative director, director, uh, Mateus is like, you know, obviously one of my best friends today. Uh, but yeah, we, also luckily have an amazing work chemistry. We, uh, you know, he's on the creative side, I'm on the production side and, and yeah, it really works. And it's been a, a dream job. Right? I really, really, really happy with uh, how things turn out and how, how successful we, we have been. Uh, unfortunately, you know, a pandemic was horrible, but yeah. it was an incredible uh, opportunity for animation studios across the world to um, be more 
of a player in this business because nobody could shoot live action. And so animation became a solution to this pandemic caused problem of not being able to go places and, and, and shoot a film. Yeah. So sure. yeah, it was, it was great. I'm wondering, you know, what is your, has your job changed a lot? Like what is 99% of your time spent doing now that you are kind of, uh, you know, you, you've opened the, the New York office, you were executive producer, or you're producing before, like, what is 99% of your job spent doing now? Is it coordinating with the Brazilian office? Is it finding, you know, is it traditional producing things like budgeting and, and yeah. all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah, it is uh, an element of uh, both, you know, inner workings of bidding and calendars and, and production uh, in general, but it's also uh, a sales. Uh, mm -hmm. So being, uh, and this is sort of a common thing in our business that EPs are, you know, sort of sales as well. So I'm the main point of contact for our sales reps across the globe. Uh, we have, you know, somebody in Spain, somebody in Asia, somebody in UK, Midwest, West Coast, East Coast. So that kind of funnels through us here in New York for uh, opportunities. So there is, you know, I, I don't know that, I don't know if I can put it in percentages, obviously because the pandemic uh, made animation so uh, prominent and, and, and made us so busy that if you asked me that question a few months ago, 100% is production yeah. because we didn't need any kind of, um, we didn't need to go after work. The work was just coming nonstop. So now that things are normalized a little bit and, and live action is becoming uh, normal again and people able to shoot and travel and so forth then you know the, the sales aspect uh, hmm. comes back to be part of a, a huge part of my role as client relationships um, and just you know the regular you know business yeah. of pursuing business yeah that's interesting I'm wondering you know what's the biggest as an executive producer versus a producer, what is the biggest difference in your role attached to that title? Um, mm. Well, you know, we have 18 projects going on now. If I was the producer on three of them, then I had three jobs to worry about. Yeah. As an executive producer, I have 18 jobs to worry about. So the distinction is volume and worry and amount of gray hair. <laughs> worry. Uh, yeah. It's in the job uh, description. So you more you more oversee a bigger picture for the yeah. whole studio. And if you're a producer, yeah. you're more you're more pinpointed on a specific job. So like That's your right. producers will come to you and be like, here's the work and stuff needed, and you'll look at all the resources and everything going on and you'll be like, okay, you focus on this, you focus on that, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. That makes Basically, sense. Yeah, I'm wondering, yeah. you know, if, if somebody's listening and they're in a producer role, like how do they, how do you jump from, you know, being really skilled at managing a few, pro a few projects very in depth as a producer to seeing that bigger picture? Like how do you convince, you know, the company that you're ready for, uh, this, this greater role where you can take on more things, but touch them less, I guess. Uh, it's an interesting question because I have two producers with, uh, this, uh, goal, 
Um, hmm. And you're like, that's my job. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I believe me. I, I can do other things if people can <laughs> take some of, you know, what I do. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But it, it's it's interesting because there's two, I think, main um, characteristics. Uh, of being an EP. One is the internal production aspect. So you have to be super organized. You have to be, and you're dealing with creative people. So there is, mm. you know, a, a tonality of how you speak to animators, illustrators, artists. So all that is a very uh, key uh, aspect of, of being a, a good producer is your relationship with the team. And, you know, depending on the project, we have one going on right now. We have 125 people working on, uh, and it's one producer. We just actually put a second producer now because we realized it's too much for one person. So there is that, you know, internal, uh, like managing, being organized, have everything in the right folders. And, and because sometimes, you know, animation projects, they're, they're lengthy, they, they take, two, three, four, five months, unlike, you know, some live action jobs where, you know, there's a lot of prepping, but you shoot, you edit, and you deliver. So there's a difference in how animation, just by the nature of it's the time that it takes to produce, that you have to maintain that information in a very organized manner mm -hmm. with your client, oh, you know, this was approved, this was not approved. And then you have to have documentation and emails, everything has to be writing. I always tell them, like, think of yourselves as lawyers. <laughs> and every email is evidence of either your guilt or your, um, <laughs> well, it is, it is. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's not a bad relationship, but you have to protect the interests of the company and um, at the same time provide what the service that, you know, was uh, awarded to you. The other aspect is more people that love the client relationship, the, you know, to, to spread the message of the company, which out of all of my producers, only one person actually has more of that desire to be less on the nitty gritty of production and be more on the, uh, the sales yeah. and the the image and, mm. and 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 help build that with different markets. So one of them came to me and was like, we haven't really touched on the you know uh, countries like you know Dubai and and Qatar and like you know should we pursue business there? I'm like, that's an interesting angle uh, that you're trying to come in because. I just, I would not even know where to begin. Of course, there is a market there and we should pursue it, but I think it was the only one we don't have representation with. So she's like, I, maybe that is one I can go, but I, I like that. I like that initiative. I like the fact yeah. that there is, you know, she studied the, 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 the globe to understand it's like, where have we not worked with? Because we've been lucky. I mean, we work with Japan, we work with China, we work with Singapore, but we don't work with some of, you know, uh, other Asian countries that maybe we should be pursuing. So there was uh, uh, something to her proposal that I thought was interesting. Hmm. Um, so I think that that depends on, you know, where where you fit and how, what do you want to do yeah. personally for your life? 
So, so let me sum it up. So say I'm a producer right now and I, I'm looking to get to the next stage of producing as an executive producer, you would look for somebody who's super organized with their projects, has great communication and people skills with their teams. Um, and also somebody who's looking to grow the business specifically and be more on, you know, uh, the sales and customer facing side, which makes a lot of sense because like, if you're, if your mentality is to do a great job on the projects you're given, that's a totally different mindset than growing the business and finding new opportunities to bring in. So yeah. that's, that's interesting to me. So it's, so it's, it's like, those are the kind of the three qualities that would, would kind of get somebody to the next level. And the growth thing makes a hundred percent sense to me because you want somebody at the top of the business to be, to be continuously growing. And, and Terry, in a way they kind of come almost naturally as well. It's not, yeah, you don't really have yeah. to force it because the producer is already dealing with the client. You know, uh, it, I'm not. It, it, I'm not the middleman in a way. I mean, I'm there, especially if there are problems or, or, or issues or crises, you know, the EP has to step in and, 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 and solve. But I think that, you know, if you have the organizational skills, if, you, if you're good at that portion of the job and you are good dealing with the client um, tone, uh, professionalism, you know, confidence, all that with your three projects to translate that to 18, it's not that hard if yeah. you have, you know, all the other one, all the other skills, you know, in place and you're already doing it. So it's almost like you don't have to develop that. I think that kind of develops by itself. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So maybe what you're saying is, is like, I don't know if I can say this correctly, but do some re internal reflection and, and see what you're naturally good at and try to find a fit in a role that you are, uh, that those skills are naturally needed. So like, instead of, you know, say I'm in a production role and I want to get to the executive producer because of money or prestige, like maybe that's not the right uh, goal for me because I maybe my skills are more naturally fitted to actually be an editor, for instance. And I'm just putting mm -hmm. that off because, you know, my, my internal and external goals are not super aligned. So I guess what you're saying is uh, lean into your natural talents and, uh, you know, work, work, work through a role that fits, fits them. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I, guess. I mean, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I kind of know what that's I like. Think, I was, I was uh, head of SEO at my software company and was doing great, but to get ahead, I had to keep taking courses and getting mentorship and talking to people. And whereas like animation was just like, I was doing it on the side and it was, it was going places without even me putting that much effort into it. So I had this internal reflection where I, I said to myself, like, you know, how do people externally see me? What are my natural skills? And then I made the switch and hopefully it's going okay <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I think that's probably even applicable to several careers you know not 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 just this one but yeah yeah I think, yeah, yeah um i, I remember and I, i'm sure we need to yeah, probably wrap this for sure yeah 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 i don't want to keep you all day so <laughs> no but it was interesting just a side note because um at one point in between jobs i um I hire a career coach hmm. um, talking to a dear friend. And I said, I'm, I'm a little bit feeling um, 
Like I don't know where I fit in the current business. I was already executive producer. I was vice president of company three, a color grading company in LA. Our biggest account was Apple. You know, it felt really great, but I wasn't, uh, I, I, there was something missing that I, I did not know what it was. So the career coach gave me one exercise, which was to write down five careers that I would like to do and geography irrelevant, money irrelevant, look inside you and find five things you want to do. Yeah. Well, guess what? I came out with two. <laughs> uh, and none of them are related to what I do now. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I, the reason I'm pointing that out because it's very interesting and it was such an in- incredible exercise. And I had a weekly call with her because she was actually in New York and I was living in LA at the time. And it was a phone call and, uh, you know, one hour a week. And she gave me a week to come up with that. I couldn't come up with any. And then she gave me another week. I was like, you need to look into this. And it was just such a weird thing because we've been talking about looking inside and understanding who you are. And then when I needed to come up with something that wasn't related to money or geography or anything, it was very hard for me. And I came up with two things that I thought, like, if, if you're talking about being happy, this is the, the kind of things that I will do. She's like, great, we're not doing that. <laughs> there's no future on that. So let's go back to this. But I just thought it was an excellent exercise mm. to, to dig deeper into, you know, and maybe, maybe a little life check choose like, okay, these are ideal things I like to do, but I also need to make a living. I need yeah. to, you know, uh, and it wasn't even about making money, but just, having a life, you know, be able to have a, a job that would enable you to have a normal, you know, um, middle-class life, whatever your goal is. But um, so just, I thought it was an interesting thing that I forgot about that career coach thing and how hard it is to, to understand oneself. Totally. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't think we do that enough. You know, you go through life and you go through the processes and you get into a system and this, even a system in animation, it just guides you to what it needs. And it, it's it's almost hard to stop and, you know, reflect and say, like, what is it that I want and need out of what I'm doing with my life? You only got one chance. But no, it's I I like I did a similar a similar reflection, which ended up where I am now. So uh, I, I love that you brought that up. But, um, you know, not to take all your time. I'm just wondering, is there anything that you wanted to share maybe as we're wrapping up and um, for somebody listening who's who's enjoyed, you know, hearing about your career and how you've gotten to where you are and what you're doing? Um, actually, I just want to throw right back at you to say that I think it's amazing what you are doing because it doesn't feel uh, you're doing it for yourself. It feels like you really gather information and, and, and spreading that information for others to gain something out of it. So kudos to you. <laughs> well, And I'm just happy that I can be uh, <laughs> of service to share a little bit and then if that helps someone, then that's the goal. But I think it's awesome what you are doing. So Well, thank you so much. I mean, I feel a little <laughs> bit emotional hearing that because it, it really 
hits a chord with what I'm trying to do. Like as, as we're talking, you know, I'm interested in what you're saying, but I'm also trying to think of, uh, you know, if somebody's listening and because every, every conversation I have is, you, you know, your, your, your journey is so important and you've gotten to a place based on your experience and what you've, even what you said about, you know, waiting tables, I think is super interesting. So I'm trying to also think about somebody else listening to this who wants to have something similar to you, or they're questioning, you know, where they want to go. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy you reflected that back at me. Thank you. <laughs> of course, of course. That's, I think that's what this is all about. So I, yeah. I, I loved it. I love it. I, well, you can invite me anytime. Of course. Well, Luis, thank you so much for, <laughs> for jumping on the call and joining the chat. It's been a pleasure hearing about your journey and chatting with you. Likewise, Terry. Thank you Amazing. so much for having me. Yeah. And if, if you're listening to this conversation, you want to check out Lobo's work or uh, Luis and, and follow him or get in touch with him, you can do so by shooting him an email, which is Luis at Lobo.cx or going to just Lobo's website, which is Lobo.cx. And I'll include a link to that in the description of this chat. And thank you so much for listening. And that's all for now. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.